When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of God. It's a statute forever, throughout your generations, in all your dwellings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Um, Every year, uh, we have a three-week, what we call a generosity series. And it talks about the generosity of God um, through, and this is a three major ones you've probably heard if you've been in Christian circles is your time, treasure, and talent. Like how does the generosity of God inform and work upon those three areas? And we highlighted it even in uh, our offering quote from George MacDonald is that uh, there is a very big difference between giving. Anybody can give, whether you are Christian or not Christian. Um, But there's a very big difference between giving and generosity. That's why we say giving rarely, very, very rarely, because you can give piles of money and not be generous with other resources in your heart. Um, one of my favorite examples is this, is I, I, there was an elder in one of the churches I was in, and he worked himself up to give away 80% of your salary, which um, is easier to do for some when you have a lot of money. I understand that. But he came to our our leadership and he said, I realized something. He said, I realized that I have been giving money away so that I didn't have to be generous. And he said, because I want to test my generosity this year, I want to volunteer in the nursery and I want to take a turn at the vacuum. Because he realized, oh, you can give piles of money away and still not be generous of heart. And so we're talking about a generosity. We're not just talking about giving. Um, this year, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to follow this thematic thread of first fruits. That's what we're going to talk about tonight and see how it informs your time and your treasure and your talent. So there's this idea of first fruits, and it shouldn't be confused with a tithe, okay? We're talking, there's a different idea that we get from Leviticus, but it's an interesting one because it's one that um, the text tells us is. God wants this idea of first fruits to always follow his people. So forever. So it's not just like this ancient Old Testament idea, and then you get to the New Testament, and we're like, oh, we don't got to do that. No, this is one of the ideas where he says, I want first fruits to follow my people wherever they live, okay? So what is the first fruits all about? Let's look at that. Um, the shape of what we're doing, where we're going today is, I want to just say, like, this is what the first fruits is all about. And then I want to talk to you about something is th- there, there is the first fruits of God that we enjoy from God before we ever practice it. And so I'm going to talk about the first fruits of God, and then we're going to look on how it, it touches on and informs our time, okay? So w- what is this first fruits all about? Here's the idea 
of first fruits is it's in this section of Leviticus where one of the very first things that God is doing when his people get out of Egypt. Now, remember, they are an absolutely abused minority group that is fractured in every strata of society. So when they get out of Egypt, God does one thing. He's like, what do you do? Hey, let's institute a reading program. Let's get clean water. Let's lay out the tents in a grid. Sensible things. No, he doesn't. This is the first thing that he does when he gets his people out of Egypt. He establishes their worship, and then he establishes this massive holiday calendar. I'm going to mark out in your calendar all the holidays that you get where I just want you to rest and I want you to celebrate special things. It's that important. It's that important. How cool is that though? Worship, then rest before we talk about anything else. So here in, um, we're gonna see first hints of this and if you might remember this in Genesis 4, remember the story, um, remember the story between Cain and Abel and Cain is um, the guy who tills the ground, Abel is the ranch hand who handles the animals and God says bring your first fruits to me and then um, they bring their first fruits of the field and from the ranch and God selects the animal. And it's for his picture that blood has to happen for forgiveness to get back into Eden. But he doesn't despise, he doesn't despise this idea of first fruits from the field. And we see that reiterated in Leviticus. So we we see this idea of um, first fruits, it's 13 times in the first five books of the Bible. So it's a kind of a big theme. And um, the Hebrew word, this is not to be impressive, right? It's bikurim, right? Have you heard that purim? Bikurim is this word. And what it means is first fruits means this. There is a promise to come. That's that's literally what it means. This This first thing that I'm bringing you from the field or from the ranch means there is a promise to come. There's more harvest coming later. That's the idea of first fruits. Now, this is not really a tithe because a tithe is automatic and it's sort of like this regular giving of your wealth to the house of God. And we see that elsewhere. First fruits is this idea is that it recognizes that it doesn't happen a lot. Like there's only one harvest time like in a a calendar year. So you're just like, yeah, it's that irregular. And so there's a specialness to it. Um, but the real emphasis is this, is that um, there are some special instances that happen, and just because they're more rare doesn't mean they're super, super important to mark out. In fact, maybe the, the rarer they are, the more important they are to mark out. So let me give you an example. Um, harvest is usually different from birthing of the lambs, um, season. So it's literally called like in American husbandry, like in ranch, it's called lambing time, right? That's a modern term, lambing time. So lambing time is around February or March. Uh, P.S., that's why we think um, the shepherds gather around their flocks at night. We think they were in the field around April. I mean, I hate to mess up your Christmas dreams, but like that's probably when it happened. It was after lambing time. Wow, he ruined Christmas too. (laughs) All at once. Um, one of my many talents. Um, 
But you wouldn't be getting new lambs every single month. There's a two-month period to be getting new lambs. Now, just because it's not regular, like I said, doesn't mean it doesn't have massive implications. And let me give you one of the examples here, and it it is the most costly, is, uh, let's say lambing time comes around, and you are an experienced shep herder or ranch hand, your best lamb is, it's very noticeable. Okay? Very noticeable. It's like this. Um, You identify quickly draft order, don't you? Of all the best college players, you're like, oh, I may not know who's going first pick, but I know who's going first ten. I know where they're going to generally land. We all do. Everyone assesses, and we sort of know immediately, you are you're rookie of the year material. And everybody knows it when they look in, at their lambs. You're possibly going to be rookie of the year. Now, if you ran this by any university ag program, if you ran what I'm about to tell you by the Wharton School of Business, they are going to say it was intentional, crafted, moronic business stupidity of what happens next. All right? Um, Think about this. In an agrarian society, it is stupid business decision to not breed your best lamb. What? We're talking Judeo-Christianity here. Um, I, I had a friend um, who was a farmer in Alabama, and um, he was really involved in a 4-H club. If those of you have been in these communities, it's like, you know, where you get your best cattle and, and it gets judged. It's almost like this glorified county fair, right? And, and they grade them and they judge them. But if you start winning awards, this is what happens with your best bull. It, people will pay tens of thousands of dollars to breed your bull. Like, so, 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 so this is what I'm trying to tell you. And I've read articles about camels that they, they breed in Saudi Arabia, and there's dogs, and I mean, you've probably read the same stuff, but let me, I am not, I'm gonna kind of beat this point in, because you're like, wow, he's like shooting himself in the foot. All right, it is intentional, crafted, moronic, business stupidity, according to the world at this point, because they say this, I want you to slaughter your best rookie of the year before the Lord. And this first decision is an idiotic business decision according to the world. You are deleting your most precious thing, agrarian society. And when you do that, it's first fruits. You're saying there is a promise to come. And I'm going to put my hands in the hands of the Lord God for the promise to come.
one of the things that will never disappear in your life is the blessing that God wants you to have. You will never lose what God wants you to have. But first fruits is your most precious thing. We gotta own up to this. This is, a, this is tricky for people. If you're considering Christianity, it's tricky. It's intentional, crafted, moronic business stupidity. And we've gotta own up to that. What do we do with it? Okay. Now let's talk about the first fruits of God. Um, and the reason why I say that we have to talk about the first fruits of God is because this, is he doesn't tell us to do first fruits while he stands over here and is like, I really want you to do that thing, but I don't have to be first fruits. But it's, I think it's really moral fiber for you. You need to work on that first fruits, but I'm not gonna do it. Um, it's almost like uh, we think he's saying, do as I say, don't do as I do. Um, my, my dad, when I was younger, um, and I don't know if dads, if you've done this before, maybe, maybe you have, is you're at the bonfire or campfire or maybe grill, and he grabs the lighter fluid, and, and this is my dad, and he goes, now Tim, never do this. <laughs> okay, all right, never do this. <laughs> right? Do you know what I do these days? <laughs> Right, right, right. I do what my dad did with the lighter fluid, okay? So we think that first fruits is kind of like that. Like he's saying, you, I'm telling you something, but I'm sort of absolved from it. And this is what we see. He is first fruits in his character and person. Now, this is the most preeminent example, and I want you to see it. He has practiced first fruits with his one and only son. In fact, 1 Corinthians um, 15, the resurrection chapter in St. Paul's Corinthian uh, letter, says it this way. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he uses this term intentionally, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. His death had a promise to come and it was not to stay dead and bring life after life after life after life not only his own life but the life of his people so let's own up to this from the best schools that the globe has to offer the crucifixion of the son of God was an intentional crafted moronic <laughs> Business stupidity. If you don't believe me, you need to read the first chapter of 1 Corinthians and it talks about the absolute foolishness of the cross. Now, the reason why I say that is because God is first fruits all the way down. He doesn't like say, hey, you really need to go work on that and, and that costs me. No, he himself is first fruits. Okay, now let's look at this. I want to look about how this idea of first fruits informs your calendar and your time and your schedule. 
okay? Um, but here's this first thing. God wants us to enjoy first fruits before he wants you to practice it, which is counterintuitive. You're like, just tell me what I've got to do, pastor. Just tell me what I got to do. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Tell me how to practice first fruits. No, I'm not going to do that first. I'm going to tell you how to enjoy first fruits first. Because that's the pattern of the scriptures, is you must receive before you can ever do. So, check this out. You've heard of Sabbath rest, and every minister worth his salt will, will tell you, you gotta rest, you gotta rest, you gotta keep, you gotta rest, you gotta, I'm not gonna talk about the Sabbath, that's a great example, but there is an incredible daily experience of the first fruits of God, um, and I get this from the writer Eugene Peterson, and he has it in two different books if you ever want to chase it down. It's um, Five Smooth Stones, and the other book is called Working Angles. And it's sort of um, a bit, but he says it's really, really interesting that the Hebrew day, starting from Genesis 1, if you remember this in Genesis 1, the Hebrew day starts like this. There was evening and there was morning. Can you finish that? There was evening, there was morning, the, the first day. There was evening, there was morning, the first day. That's what, a, that's what a day is. So traditionally speaking, the Hebrew day starts at dusk. It starts around I'm making, like five-ish sundown, right? right? So um, when we lived at Pico and Fairfax in mid-city, um, a huge Jewish community, on Friday afternoons, Everyone is bustling. They are bustling to get to the bakery, to the shops, what, around three, four, and they are hustling. They're hustling to get home because their day, their Sabbath day, begins actually Friday at five and it ends at Saturday at five because it's the pattern of a day. That's one weekday. So Eugene Peterson says this, and I think you'll like this. Uh, I love it. Uh, he says, it's really, really interesting. He said that God bakes in first fruits in his grace in the shape of what he thinks a day is. Now imagine this. Most of humanity ha has been an agrarian society. I know we live in cities, and I am very, very glad I live in a city, by the way. Um, I am a city slicker down to the core. But most of humanity, agrarian. So check this out. Your day begins... Tick-tock, tick-tock, your day begins, and it starts with a meal. Monday morning, what are you going to do? Well, got to get a meal. Or Monday evening, as the case may be. <laughs> That's your day starting. Then what happens? You're laughing, and you're talking around the campfire, Dad has a little bit too much fermented barley. You dance with the kids, impromptu dance party. They are around the campfire. Your wife laughs at you. You laugh, you tell old stories. There's a joke or two. Someone may pass gas. See, that's a joke, well done. Well done. You're around the campfire now. Um, but you can't do anything productive. Everyone gets sleepy. You head to the tent. 
You love each other. You fall asleep. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. And you wake up. And your day is half over. And you haven't produced a thing. Tick-tock, tick-tock. And the only thing you can do is join God in a day that he has already started. And the whole first half of that day, he said, I just want you to enjoy it. Eugene Peterson says this. We have envisioned the weekend. The weekend is a reward for you starting with your work and getting it all done. And God imagines this. I want you to start with absolutely doing nothing and enjoying it. Not just me, enjoy all the fruits of my world. And then you can go to work. Why does he want you to do that? It's because he wants you to know. Down to his core, he is first fruits, and he wants you to enjoy his first fruits. And it comes about by grace, not because you work so hard to enjoy the fruits. So even in time rhythms, he is grace. He is grace. He is grace. That's powerful. Now, there are implications and applications because our God is like that and we start our days like that and our weeks like that, that he is first fruits and we just enjoy it. Now let's look how this great, gracious God asks us to consider our calendar and our schedule and our time in light of first fruits. I will give you a simple one because I think you can come up with better applications than I can. But I'm going to give you a simple one as it applies to me. I'm not going to demand that it applies to you. But I will show you how, what it has done for me. Roughly for a year, I used to do this. I am one of those annoying people that I have the most energy in the morning. Right? And a lot of you are just like, yeah, I hate you already. Um, and I am highly, highly productive from 8 a.m. to noon. And then it's a ramp of not production after that, like lessening usefulness to the world. And admittedly, this minister has lived a life where so many voices will say, you must make this call, you must make this email, you must address this problem, you must do this thing. And do you know what I did during my golden hours from, I, I jumped on those loud voices. And what happened this past year is I said, I am not going to touch a thing of importance until I give the first fruits of my time to my father. I'm not going to do it. Has it been hard? <laughs> Very hard. <laughs> but it's been absolutely rewarding. Because my best attentions, I now give to him first. I want you to consider something. I want you to consider special me time, special vacation, special days off. I want you to start looking at your time and in little ways say, what could I do to give the first fruits of this great treasure to God himself, the attention and the enjoyment of God himself? It might be if you have a long weekend, 
It might be this, like, I am going to carve out the first part of that Saturday, one hour, and say, I'm going I'm to give this. I love it that I have a three-day or a four-day, but, but I'm going to give the first of it to you. Would, you. would you see what happens? Would you see what happens? Now, why do I say this? Um, we are practicing first fruits. Remember, we enjoy it first, we practice it, but why are we practicing it? It's because it is an act of faith. It's saying there is a better promise to come than anything I think I've given up here. There's a better promise to come. You know what it is? It is faith, and it's saying, I believe the resurrection is true, and he's bringing better things down the road with my time. Would you walk into that with me? Would you walk into that with me? Our Father and our God, um, you are first fruits all the way down. We, we know that. We doubt it, but it's great to see it again because we're like, oh, you really are like that. Um, would you press upon the hearts of my friends because I can't give them all the applications, but they know their time. Would you press upon them to look upon their time and their commitments and reorient their priorities to give attention to you, our first fruits, God? Would you give them the belief, help their unbelief to trust that there is better things to come because of it? Would you have us respond now in faith, in gladness, in worship, in love, in uh, praise as we sing and as we do that together as a community. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with us.